The thing that distinguishes the SAG Awards from all the other film and TV awards that you're going to see is the SAG Awards is a union awards show. That's our guest today, Harold Phillips. I got to know Harold a couple of years ago when he started working with me to build the Labor Radio Podcast Network. And he also now co-hosts the Working to Live in Southwest Washington podcast. But Harold has been a working actor for more than 30 years, with dozens of movie and TV credits. On today's show, we find out how Harold got into acting, the huge amount of work behind the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which air this Sunday, February 27th at 8 p.m. on TNT and TBS, and Harold's picks for the most laborific films nominated for SAG Awards this year. I'm Chris Garlock. Stay tuned as labor goes to the movies. So actually, the first thing I have to do, Harold, and, and Elise would kill me if I didn't ask you this question, um, which we always ask uh, our first-time guests, which is, what is the earliest film that you remember, the one that that just sort of lodged in that little you know, Harold Phillips brain back in the day? Well, the earliest film I actually remember, and uh, sorry, mom and dad, um, I remember scenes from Woody Allen's Sleeper ah. from when I was a little, little, little child. And okay. I don't know how this happened. Um, they're only like those little flashes you get right, from right. early childhood, right? But uh, definitely Sleeper. I'm guessing mom and dad may have taken me and like oh, I was uh, sleeping in their, their laps or whatever. Not not kid appropriate folks don't don't take your two and three year olds <laughs> or, or you might sleeper. you might wind up like harold which you know not a bad thing so we we wanted you uh to you know come on the show to talk about the the sag awards which are coming up this weekend especially some of the uh laborific films that are being considered but before we get to that um you know, I know you as the co-host of the Working to Live in Southwest Washington podcast. You've also been for, God, two, three years now, one of the core organizers of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. And, but you've also been a working actor for more than 30 years, which I was just looking through your IMDb page, which, bro, it is really impressive. Um, so before we get into the SAG Awards, um, how did you get into this line of work and and what are some of the, the, the you know where, where are some of the places or people you know, would have seen you well uh funny story it was largely because i was an army brat mm -hmm. interestingly enough um so the short version is when we were in germany we took a trip across the water to london and my brother and I are really excited because they have first run movies there and we don't get first run movies in Germany. So we wanted to go see a movie, but my mother, uh, she decides that we should go see a play in <laughs> Regent's Park and it should Aye. be Shakespeare culture, kids culture. And um, it was magical. Actually, it was amazing. It was this 1940s set production of Taming of the Shrew, which is not exactly a very popular Shakespeare play in this day and age. But um, 
there I was, 12-year-old, uh, just kind of blown away by the fact that they were speaking a language that I didn't think I could understand, but I could understand it because of the way that they were communicating the updated costumes. Well, if you count 1940s as updated and how that told the story in a different way than I could tell the original play was. So yeah, I was really jazzed. And as we were walking away, my mother asked if I thought that was something I might like to do. And I said, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it became sort of my constant as the family moved from posting to posting throughout my dad's military career. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So when I moved to Minnesota, I'm the odd kid out who right. hasn't grown right. up there, but I've got, you know, acting in theater that I can soak myself into. I make my little tribe through that. The same thing, same thing when we moved to Alaska, that became kind of my through line. And then uh, the family moved away from Alaska and I stuck it out there to get my theater degree at University of Alaska at Anchorage. So yeah, it just kind of became a constant. It, it, it became a touchstone. Well, and it occurs to me, and I, again, from being married to a, a military brat, you know, who had to move every two years and, you know, you get really good at uh, not only, um, you know, moving and, and, and you don't put down those deep roots because why would you? You're only going to be there two years. And so it occurs to me that having that theater community where there is a normally a, an amount of churn anyway, that that that. That seems really natural, actually, now that I think of it. Yeah. Um, you become fast friends and deep friends. Right. With quickly, the people quickly. who you're working with. And then there's always that notion in the back of your brain that you may move on to the next show. You may see these folks again. You may not see these folks again. I have very deep, deep friendships with a lot of people I've worked with over the years, but um, we hardly ever see each other. Right. We can pick up the phone. And it's like we never stopped, but we do have kind of an itinerant lifestyle. And yeah, it's a, one of the many reasons why people don't trust actors. We're not normal. We're kind of weird. And we like that. We like that in an actor. So, so what, are, what are some things that, uh, I mean, you have an extensive, extensive resume. What are, what are some of the things that people might have seen you in or that you're particularly, that people should go look for you in? Well, um, I, I have done some work in television uh, mm -hmm. here in the Portland area where I'm based. Uh, we had Grimm, which was on NBC. I was in an episode of that. Don't blink. You'll miss me. Um, I was on an episode of Leverage, which was on TNT. Great show. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually just rebooted it on IMDb recently. Yes, so, I saw that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a fantastic heist caper kind of show. And I was in uh, the, the Librarians, also a TNT production. In terms of film, um, people may not be as familiar with these films as I would like them to be, but I was privileged to be in a recurring role in a trilogy of films called The Falls. Mm -hmm. uh, the Falls, Testament of Love, The Falls... Oh my God, I can't remember the third one. I'm so sorry, John Garcia. I can't. <laughs> uh, uh, Covenant of Grace. Thank there you. you. Go. Oh my gosh. Good one. Oh my gosh. Um, these were films about two missionaries, Mormon missionaries, who fell in love. And 
what that's like on their mission, after their mission, how they deal with their families. I played one of the missionaries' fathers, and um, I was lucky enough to go through all three films. Um, John Garcia, the director, kept that relationship as a through line through the films. And it was an amazingly rewarding experience as an actor, but also they're just amazing films. Um, you see a lot of real life struggle that a lot of people go through in that situation. And it's kind of a look behind the curtain at what some people outside the LDS church may not see on a regular basis. So yeah, I would really encourage people to look up the falls. If you get the chance, they're wonderful films. Excellent. All right. So, you know, I, when you mentioned the, the SAG Awards to me a couple of weeks ago, sort of a little bell went off in the back and I was like, yeah, yeah, SAG Awards. But then I realized I did not know anything about them. I didn't know when they were. I didn't, you know, and I'll be honest. I don't follow the award show in general, um, mostly because of my experience, you know, the films that I'm interested in don't tend uh, to make it. Um, and, and frankly, you know, like the Academy Awards have gotten pretty, um, they've gotten in a lot of trouble in the last few years. And I think rightfully so for their treatment of people of color, for women and all of that, but we're not going to go there right now. Um, well, and I'll just say award season, quote unquote, um, there is a certain bougie aspect to it. Thank you. I mean, yes. it's all yes. about the red carpet, right? Mm, and the, the glamorous people. And, <laughs> and yeah, especially in the era we're living in right now. I mean, when mm -hmm. there's a literal war happening, it seems like spending your time focusing on beautiful people and beautiful clothes, uh, there's better things to look at, right? But we, I love film. And obviously you love film. And, and so to me, this is a great opportunity. Uh, and the SAG Awards, obviously Screen Actors Guild, um, are, uh, have, must have some sort of union focus. So before we get into the films themselves, what are the SAG Awards? Well, yeah. Um, SAG does stand for Screen Actors Guild, which merged with another union in 2012 i believe it was to become sag after and that's the union that i'm in mm -hmm. um they haven't updated the name of the awards show though it's still called the sag awards so it's kind of a you. nod to that yeah it, it's it's a nod to the history and you should tell people after because not everyone knows is going to know what after stands for right so after it was the american federation of radio and television artists so, and up until 2012, ostensibly the Screen Actors Guild covered filmed entertainment, things that went onto film, and AFTRA covered television, radio, things that went onto videotape. Then we got some jurisdictional issues that happened when we kind of, you know, got beyond the film versus videotape thing. And the employers like to play the two unions against each other in negotiations. And after a long, long effort, the two unions eventually merged and became SAG-AFTRA. Well, and that's not really a, a sidebar. I, I want to spend just a minute on that because I think 
uh, you know, some people will know in the trades, there's lots of different trades. There's the painters and the plumbers and the, you know, the, the, the stationary engineers as opposed to the operating engineers. Um, but, you know, I think people don't, people just sort of think, oh, you know, Hollywood, you're all making films, so you're all doing the same thing, right? And that is definitely not true. And we won't get into all the different unions, you get, you know, that you have there. But I think that people think, well, if you're an actor, and especially because actors act in, all, you know, you act on the stage, you act in TV, you, I mean, there's all kinds of places you act. Well, so, and now in on the internet, right, with uh, web series and podcasts. And yeah. <laughs> so you're acting as you know, you would be in the same union. But it, you know, your, your point is that up until relatively, you know, 10 years ago, there actually was these two different unions um but as you point out uh, as these media or mediums or platforms or whatever they're calling them these days have have merged that those distinctions sort of didn't really work anymore right yeah well and i think that um if you look through labor history you see this happening multiple times it it largely comes down to changes in technology right right where jurisdiction seems to make sense with one category and seems to make sense with another category. And then there's a social shift or there's a change in technology. And those two categories, they don't necessarily merge, but the lines between them get blurry. And the unions who have that jurisdiction, they might try and fight for territory or they might decide to merge together so that they can cover both of those categories. That's pretty much what SAG after did. And I think we're seeing some of those conversations now in a lot of our unions in terms of moving into this new 21st century era where work has shifted so much. If you're working at home, are you an office worker? What kind of job should be covered by this union versus that union? You know, the, the possibility of fighting for jurisdiction is always there, but the possibility of coming together and working cooperatively is there as well. So back to the SAG uh, awards, what sort of distinguishes them from, I mean, there are so many, honestly, it is award season and there's so many different awards. It's um, one of the reasons I think, you know, I, I knew that the SAG awards were out there, but didn't really focus on them. So what, what, what distinguishes the SAG awards? Well, I'll tell you, the thing that distinguishes the SAG Awards from all the other film and TV awards that you're going to see is the SAG Awards is a union awards show. And that's not to say that we're giving awards only to union members, though we are. That's, that's one of the criteria for being sure. nominated for an award. Unions have awards around the country, right? I mean, even, even here in Southwest Washington, we just had labor awards where we gave uni, uh, awards to members in our labor community. The SAG Awards is the only nationally broadcast union awards show in the country. I mean, it's piped into millions of homes and these are members of my union, SAG-AFTRA, nominating and voting for, to award other union members for the quality of their work. It's a different kind of vibe than the Hollywood press, for instance, giving awards mm -hmm. or the uh, Academy of Film and Television, 
giving awards. These are actually working professionals looking at the work of other working professionals and trying to make the judgment to say, yeah, that's the best actor in a lead role. And let me tell you, that's very, very difficult. I have such, such a feeling for anybody who has to vote in any other awards show now that I vote in the SAG Awards, because you try deciding whether Jennifer Hudson, Nicole Kidman, or Jessica Chastain is the best. They're mm-hmm. all good. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that, that, you know, that does sort of get, again, I guess, to one of my problems now that you're mentioning uh, with, with, with award shows in, in general, which is, I think that's a really hard question because, you know, you could probably make an argument that just among, and we'll get into this in a second, but I mean, in the different films, you know, how do you pick out one best male actor, one best female actor, what, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, there are different roles there are different films there are different kinds of genres. I mean, somebody who's in a drama as opposed to, I don't know, a comedy or sci-fi. I don't know, you know, what the different categories are. So maybe maybe you could, maybe you could, uh, without going into all the different categories, I mean, I assume you have the same major categories as most of these awards, you know? Yes and no. Um, okay. The SAG Awards doesn't just cover movies. It also covers television. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we've got two separate categories there. And then we don't have a best actor award. We have outstanding performance by a female actor or a male actor in a lead role or a supporting role, outstanding performance by an ensemble. This this gets us away a little bit from trying to judge whose was the best performance of the year. Gotcha. Um, but beyond that, uh, one of the big differences between the SAG Awards and the other awards shows is all of our awards are performance-based. We don't have a best picture. We have a best ensemble. We don't have a best director. We may have a best stunt crew. Um, well, actually, it's outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble. Uh, we do break it down generally into comedy and drama to try and help differentiate that. But um, what you're seeing when you watch the SAG Awards is you're seeing people who are in that same profession who practice that same craft basically awarding outstanding work within that profession and that craft. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the awards show, and it's actually a lot of people's favorite parts, is right at the beginning. The way the SAG Awards has started for years is not up on the stage with the host. Instead, the camera goes through the tables of the people who are at the awards show and actors will say something to the camera about what it's like to be an actor. They may tell a funny anecdote from their past. They may talk about our crazy lives, but it's all about the actors in the room saying that they're actors and that kind of kicks things off. That is really cool. I, I, I may have to watch this, Harold. You may, you may have uh, just recruited. It's a fun show, and... man. It's a fun show. <laughs> so you, uh, you listed uh, some of the titles that you had picked out as being sort of laborific uh, for us to focus on. Um, so why don't, why don't we go through a few of those and you can 
talk about what a what you think you know makes them laborific uh you know you know having to do with work workers um and also just your thoughts of you know at, coming from within the craft give us your perspective um on, on what makes these films you know worthy of at least consideration if, if not actual winning well, um, I will say every single film that I've watched in this particular season of SAG Awards nominees have been deserving of the nomination. They're all incredible performances. In thinking about the whole laborific idea, you don't see a lot of films this year where workers come together and organize in order to take back their power. What you do see in a lot of the nominees this year is an indication of working class struggle and of the pressures that the working class are under. And in some cases, the result of that pressure. And two films come immediately to mind in that context. One is Belfast, which is Kenneth Branagh's sort of autobiographical view of his childhood in Belfast at the beginning of what they call the Troubles. And the other, believe it or not, is West Side Freaking Story. <laughs> I think that would make a great title of a film, by the way. But uh, yes, yeah, so, yeah, I have not seen either of these yet, although I've heard, of course, wonderful things about both. West Side Story, I thought was an interesting choice of a film to to remake. I saw the original. Da, 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 right. I mean, it's all I know, zap, zap, right? zap. But but the original had, of course, not only the wonderful music, but the the choreography, uh, which at the time was revolutionary. And I'm sure my question, not having seen it, was how do you how do you remake that in today's world in a way that's relevant to modern audiences? You remake it. <laughs> you, you totally redo the script while keeping the spirit of the original piece. So what Steven Spielberg did is he partnered with Tony Kushner, who is the award-winning playwright of Angels in America and a number of great plays. And the original lyricist, Stephen Sondheim, who unfortunately we lost at the end of last year, mm -hmm. they rewrote some scenes, they fleshed out some scenes, they gave the Sharks, the Puerto Rican gang, a lot more depth. Hmm. They weren't just cartoonish others, they actually right. had reasons for doing the things they did. And one of the great things about this film that you didn't see in the original film. It's set against a backdrop of urban renewal. This isn't just a couple of kids who want to go rumble in a playground. These are kids who are growing up in an area where the buildings are being ripped down to make room for Lincoln Center. Mm. And the city is trying to evict people. They're trying to take away the places that they live. So that pressure on the whole community is part of what's driving these kids acting out and fighting. And when you look at that backdrop, it makes a lot more sense. It feels a lot more grounded, a lot more real. Plus, not for nothing, but I feel pretty, is while Maria's at her night job cleaning Bloomingdale's. Oh. So total worker story there. 
I love it. I love it. Okay. Got to see it. So before we move on, when you're again, putting on your, your, your union member voting in the awards, but also your sort of, you know, union podcast host act, when you're watching West Side Story, let's say, are you, are you just watching purely just, you know, as a, as a, you know, viewer, are you taking notes? What, what are you looking for when you, when you're watching that? I mean, cause at some, at some part of your brain is thinking, you know, cause you gotta, you gotta vote. You gotta start ticking some boxes at some point. Right. So you can't just check out and, and stuff your face with popcorn while you're watching. I'm thinking. Well, you try not to, but these films are <laughs> so great. <laughs> Sometimes you, the analytical part just goes out the window. Right. Um, we know ahead of time who's nominated for a particular award in this film. Like, for instance, uh, in West Side Story, it was... I even put this up here so I could tell you. Uh, there Carol's she is. Got his cheat sheet. Got his cheat sheet. Uh, the actor's name is Ariana DeBose. She plays Anita. Okay. So I know when I sit down to watch West Side Story, one of the things I'm watching specifically is Anita's performance. Got it. Got it. How that rises to the top. The other part of that is um, when you're in a particular trade or craft, you always look at work in that trade or craft a little bit differently mm -hmm. than somebody else might, right? If you're a bricklayer, and you're walking along a sidewalk or, uh, you know, looking at a wall, you'll always have that, that part of you who is in that craft and has a certain assessment of the technique sure. that's being used. So this is why people hate watching movies with actors and plays <laughs> with actors because- I would love it. I would love it. And, and, and let me, I, I want you to talk about that. When you're looking at Anita's performance, what were you looking for? Yeah. Um, it's mercurial. It's, it's a tricky thing to put into words, but mm. you're looking for those transcendent moments or those moments that really move you, mm -hmm. that really take you on a journey. Um, and by the way, Ms. DeVos, <laughs> she took you on a journey, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, that's really subtle, right? Uh, ben Affleck was nominated for outstanding actor in a supporting role for a film called The Tinder Bar. Yes, yes. And, you know, Ben Affleck's performance is solid. It's grounded. And that is in and of itself kind of transcendent compared to the rest of the film. He really stands out because of that energy that he brings, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're just looking at the sheer emotional depth of a performance, someone who really just gets you by the gut mm -hmm. in power of the dog, Benedict Cumberbatch is a horrible, horrible character. Oh my God. <laughs> so so bad. As the movie progresses, you start to see this different side of him. You start to see hints peeking out and those hints start to pull at you as you start to think about what's driving this horrible behavior he's in that is something that that you might want to judge the performance on so it's all of these little factors that come into play 
Well, let me flip that though, because, you know, I, I mean, I, I've never been an actor, uh, but, you know, as you know, I run the, the labor film festival. So I watch, and I always have, even before I ran film, labor film festivals, I've, I've been watching movies forever. And um, I was a film critic at one point. And so I had to learn how to watch. Um, but I, having never been an actor or made a film, you know, it's always been as a consumer. But, but the question I wanted to ask is, what about, and I'm assuming, you know, you're kind of getting the creme de la creme here because you're looking at films that, you know, where, where that have risen to the top because they've been nominated. But let me ask you, and, and feel free to name names or, or not as the case may be, but what about when, when there's a performance and you're just like, that, that magic ain't happening? And I, I know that must happen. Sure, sure. And again, it's a subjective thing, right? Um, what moves me may not be the same thing as what moves my other fellow SAG after members. Mm. Heck, it may not be the same thing that moves the fellow SAG after member who I live with. <laughs> my wife is also <laughs> uh -oh. in the union. Uh -oh. <laughs> and so we don't vote the same. Um, you know, it's funny you talk about this being the creme de la creme. Uh, I served on the nominating committee a couple years back. Mm -hmm. And you think it's hard to vote in the awards. Try selecting the five nominees mm. in any particular category from literally thousands of hours of performances. Every television show, every movie. Oh my God. We, uh, on the nominating committee, when I was on the nominating committee, I'm not anymore, we had to watch all of that in order to select five people to move forward to actually go to nomination and it's tough it's tough to be specific about what it is that really jazzes you that really makes you think yeah this is one of the outstanding performances of the year it's um you know it's it's a little bit of magic and like all true magic it's not definable that's why we don't like critics you try and put us in a box. Well, but, you know, and, and, and it's, I'm just thinking that I was just talking to somebody about this the other day that, you know, people know that I know a lot about movies and, you know, but most, most folks who go, I think the average and you probably know better than I do, but I mean, it's, it's actually a very small number of films that most people, there's a few of us, you know, people that go to a lot of movies. Most people, I think, go to like five or six movies a year. Now, I don't know what the, the stat is for watching stuff at home, but it, and, and, and probably all of this has changed since the pandemic. But I was shocked when I saw how few people, because when I was going out to movies, yeah, it was, it was a couple of weeks at least. I mean, that, and that wasn't even during festival time when you go to many more. But people would always ask me, you know, uh, you know, is it any good? And, and, and will I like it? You know, do, do you like it? And, and I'm like, you know, those are not even the right questions. You know? and, and they they they're not related technically something no, could be great no. and you can not like it that's right that's right that's they're, they're completely they're not the right questions and 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 they, and they don't mean what people think they mean and and so you know i think about you sorting through all those films i will say having you know i i, I watch a lot of films to arrive at the dozen or so that we're going to show in the labor film festival i watch a lot of you know a few bad movies a lot of them honestly that are just sort of eh. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, Harold, and I'm thinking of, you know, maybe this for you too. I always stand by the door at the film festival. Well, I did when we had it in person <laughs> and, you know, sort of my measure 
was, you know, if you go to that film and you come out and, and, you know, if, if you didn't like it and you're, and you're really upset because it, it, it tweaked you, I'm okay with that. What I don't mm-hmm. want you to come out and say, well, that was a waste of two hours of my life, you know, that I'm never getting back, you know, uh, that, that that makes me feel bad. If if you're upset by a film, if you're, you know, uh, you know, if or if it's provoked you, I'm okay with that. But if you just think that was a complete waste of time, you know, that that would make me feel sad. Well, yeah, I, I get that metric. Um, I I would tweak it just a little bit. I would say if you come out and you feel compelled to talk about it, there you go. That to me yep. is a good film it's a good movie going experience even if you're talking about how much you didn't like it it's you're still talking about it it's moved you you've had an experience that you're you're thinking about and you're thinking about what it is that didn't work for you and that sort of thing it's the ones where people get up walk out get in the car take off (laughs) They're, they're not even thinking about what they've just spent time consuming right that to me is an indication of, uh, yeah, uh, it, a film that didn't really land, didn't really do what it was trying to do. Kind of, kind of missed the mark. All right, we got a couple of other films that you highlighted. Uh, again, as being in the laborific category, including one that I, I am embarrassed to admit that I haven't seen this yet, being as you know an avid tennis player. But uh, you nominated uh, King Richard uh, mm. as being a laborific film, which means I've missed out on on two angles. On, you know, as a labor guy and a tennis player. So, what 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 made you put King Richard in the, in the laborific category? Well, again, more. Um class struggle than Uh labor per se though um king richard which is the story of venus and serena williams rise and the role that their father richard played in it there is definitely some labor involved those those people are working and they're working hard hard and uh there are negotiations to get them deals in order to move on to the next step But the thing that I really loved about King Richard, other than Will Smith's performance, which was a total transformation, this is not the Fresh Prince here. He's (laughs) he's a very different person. He speaks very differently. You forget it's Will Smith when you're watching him. This is about a working class guy. He's a security guard at a Mercado. I mean, you don't get much more working class than that. He's, He's trading shifts with his wife watching the kids as he works nights and she comes home who has an an aspiration who has a dream for his family to better them and he sticks to that dream even when people are telling him that it's not going to work that what he wants isn't going to happen and he gets it and he gets it largely because of the power of his own belief and i think a lot of working people out in the u.s and around the world they have a lot of beliefs. They have a lot of goals and they can get dissuaded from them very easily because uh, the job doesn't work out. Somebody tells them that it's a pipe dream, what have you. This is a pretty inspirational film about what can happen if you stick to that, even when people tell you you're crazy. I love it. Next on my list to uh, to watch. All right, we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, you're the second or third of my labor-related folks. Uh, Squid Game. And, and I will, my, my wife, my wife watched the whole thing 
but I got to tell you, the the TV room is next to my studio, and and just judging by the sound, I'm a squeamish guy. I'm gonna be right up front about it. I'm a squeamish guy. I don't watch horror films, uh, and and the, just the sound of this you know, series was just like, oh my god. But but people who I highly respect have told me it is absolutely, including Lisa, my wife, have said this is definitely a labor film. And now you're telling me the same. So hit me. Well, Squid Game is brutal. I mean, there there is no other way around it. People are killed. <laughs> and they're killed left, right, and center in very graphic and gruesome ways. But the thing that puts them into the position to be killed is trying to pay off their debt. Right. Trying to get ahead in a society that you'd like to think is a little bit different because it's based in Korea, but you lose your job, you have a bunch of bills to pay. Now you're beholden mm -hmm. to the man. And this just takes that situation to an extreme saying, what would you do to get out of that? If you had a chance to pay off all your debts and be rich, what would you do? How far would you go? In this context, these people, decide that they will actually risk their lives and only one of them is going to come out out of what is it 60 so that means 58 59 people are going to die just to try and get out of debt it's um crazy, yeah. crazy. It's, it's a hell of a metaphor actually for what people go through on a daily basis and i'm just curious so what was it nominated for um, for the SAG Awards, it's nominated for uh, stunts because they had <laughs> they had some amazing stunts in there. And I think also, yes, um, outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama series. And those are some very, very talented actors. It's not just blood and guts. You know, it's not just a slasher film in terms of the sort of gratuitous violence. Mm -hmm you see these people really struggle with what they're doing and the choices that they have to make. And they make some pretty hard choices and that comes out on the screen. So yeah, it's a very, very worthy nomination. All right. You have convinced me, brother. I'm going to, I'm going to watch it, but let me, uh, one other question before we move on. I'm a just, little just confused. be sure to cover your eyes, cover your eyes. It's not my eyes. It's my ears. I tell you, I've already heard half the soundtrack and that's what, that's what kind of put me off is the squishing in the uh, anyway, but, but I, I want to, I'm a little confused because if I'm not mistaken, that's a, isn't that a South Korean uh, TV show? So how does it wind up in the SAG awards? Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it how it fit jurisdictionally. I do know that in order to be considered for the SAG Awards, it has to be done under a SAG after contract. Right, right. So I'm going to guess that somehow there was an agreement with SAG AFTRA for those actors to work on that production. I wonder, I'm totally just guessing here, because as I understand, another thing that I think was bothering me, I think it's uh, dubbed and not subtitled, right? Oh, it's both. You, you it's can both. watch it in the original Korean. But um, if this is actually a really good point, all of the foreign films that Netflix puts out are dubbed under a SAG after contract. So that, that, that may be that where may it comes in then. Yeah. Right. Not a big fan of dubbing, to be honest, but... Um, 
uh, it just because I it, it just never seems to uh, obviously they're speaking Korean and dubbed into English and it just doesn't sync up. I remember being in I think it was Nicaragua and watching an American film dubbed into Spanish, which was a good Spanish lesson, but very weird because you don't know whether to listen to the English or read this. Uh, yeah, it's confusing. It's it's a science actually. Um everybody talks about the old kung fu movies right where yes, uh, yes. The, the mouth would keep moving after the mm -hmm. words were done uh, dubbing has progressed quite a bit since then and when they're developing the scripts for your english version they're taking into account what the actors are saying in their native language oh. and they're choosing words which even if they don't match the mouth they're still going to match the the length of the word or okay. the overall length of the speech. And then the direction in the dubbing booth is pretty precise. They're trying to make those words fit the mouth as much as possible. So yeah, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into good dubbing. Good to know. All right, folks, getting some more insider dope here from the man on the inside himself. All right. Uh, and the last two, actually two other ones uh, that you mentioned uh, made, which we've talked about uh, on this show before, but um, yeah. uh, I was curious about what it was nominated for. I, I loved it. Great, great show. Yeah. Margaret Qualley, uh, who plays Alex in Made, was nominated for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Television Movie or Limited Series. <gasps> it's a big long name well i uh that terrific terrific performance and a very much uh in in our wheelhouse as you know the, the entire i think it portrays as we've talked about on this show before you know just the how how difficult it is you know i kept i kept worrying that they were going to give her i mean there, there's a number of opportunities for her to escape mm -hmm. the, the 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 trap uh, the economic trap that she's in and it just keeps clawing her back and and you know it's that's true it's real like i say there are a lot of tv shows and movies these days about class struggle about what the working class is going through and what they're up against and made is it's a great example of that because yeah it'll it'll definitely tug tug at you to see her work her way through and to see that optimism drain out mm -hmm, of her mm -hmm. but the flip side is it's also reminding you that there are millions of americans who are in her same place all right the last one that you highlighted white lotus tell us about that white lotus is one of those shows that i generally don't like i gotta be honest with you because oh. it focuses on spoiled rich people i, I gotta tell you I, i'm so glad you said that because i saw the previews for it. it was getting all this talk and i watched the previews. i was like i don't care about these people <laughs> you know <laughs> why, why do i want to and if it was a movie i probably wouldn't even spend the hour and a half harold but i mean you're talking about many hours i think right I think there's a, there's a seven episodes, maybe eight That's episodes. That's a lot in the series. of time yeah. to spend with people. I don't think I'm gonna like. Is there a but here? Well, there's a but. All right. And the but is that just like West Side Story had the backdrop of urban renewal, and that set the stage for the rest of the story. The backdrop in White Lotus is not the gorgeous hotel on the beautiful Hawaiian beach, but the hotel workers 
the people who are working in this hotel and are treated horribly, not just by the rich guests, and there's a lot of that, but by hotel management Mm -hmm. and by the corporation who I don't think is ever really named. Of course they're not. (laughs) They're not, they're, they're sort of one of those characters in the background Mm-hmm. who you always refer to, but you never name them. Okay. Um, yeah. These poor poor people are forced to do really horrible things. And um, in some cases, uh, there's indigenous rights issues involved in huh. land grabs. And okay. there's abuse by the manager who's forcing them to own up to things they haven't done. So from a labor perspective, if you watch White Lotus, you will see, and this is a big nod to our friends at Labor Wave Radio, who did a whole episode on this, you will see a group of workers who need to organize badly. And I would really encourage you all to check out the Labor Wave Radio episode about organizing the White Lotus. It's great. They go through the whole campaign that they could go on. So yeah, from a labor perspective, really instructive. Excellent. We will put a link uh, to that episode and gosh, darn it, Harold. Now I got, now I got to go invest the time in this show, but that's the whole point of this podcast, folks. It's a whole point is, is to give this kind of perspective and to get folks to kind of take a look and, you know, at that, because I, I, like I said, I looked at that and I just did not, but for me, if there's a labor angle, that gets me interested. That really does. It gives me some skin in the game, as it were. I'm going to have to throw a couple more at you here, Chris. Hit me. Hit me. The Hulu series Dope Sick. I don't know if you've heard anything about I that. Have. I, I have. I and, have. And, and I'll be honest. And, and the cast looked really good. My concern was it's about addiction, which tends to you know, either be really gritty, grimy, or glamorized. And but but with the cast they had, so what was it nominated for? Well, Michael Ke- Michael Keaton is nominated uh, for outstanding performance by a male actor in a television movie or limited series. Okay. The reason I'm bringing this up though is not for Michael Keaton, who does a great job. It's a mm. fantastic performance. Mm. The people who get addicted in this are coal mining people in Kentucky. I think it is. No, Virginia. I'm sorry. Uh, Coal miners in Virginia. And one in particular who is closeted and trying very hard to make money in order to move away from a conservative family and live her life. So it's a peek into what these hardworking folks are going through and how easy it is to get knocked out of whack when you get addicted to a substance like Oxycontin. And it's a good reminder of what the coal miners are dealing with right now in Alabama, who've been on strike now for, what is it, like 11 months? I mean, it's been yeah, a close long, to a year. long Close strike. to a year now. Okay, dope sick on my list. What else you got? Um, I'm actually going to bring up a Netflix show called The Chair. And this this doesn't seem like it should be too laborific. It's focused on an English professor who assumes the chair of the English department. Yes, right. Ding, played ding, by Sandra just, yep, oh. yep, yep. 
What you see, though, is you see a lot of people, a lot of faculty coming together to try and better their situation in that department. Now, they're not good people. I don't, I don't necessarily <laughs> agree with some of the ways that they do it. But again, looking at it from a working class perspective, yeah, these are college professors, right? They're not making a lot. Some of them have tenure. Some of them don't. In one case, someone is desperately trying just to maintain her position and not go to another school. Mm-hmm. So thinking about our educators, uh, this is a real peek into their life when you're looking at higher education. Okay. The chair. What else? The morning show on Apple TV. Now, this this again sounds like one of those focus on the rich people kind of shows with sure. Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and their anchors at a glitzy morning show. The reason to watch this is not necessarily Jennifer Anderson and Reese Witherspoon, who do amazing work. Terrific work, actually. I agree. It's the producers. It's the people who are working in the office with them. Yep. And this season in particular, it's all fallout from what's happened in the past season, which includes things like wrongful death suits and um, one one former anchor, I, I think, has been... Uh, kicked out because of uh, sexual impropriety, that sort of thing. So you see a lot of people on Steve, the ground. Steve Carell, by the way. Yeah, exactly. One of my heroes. As completely, you by, completely, by completely smarmy. I, he must have just loved that role. So I, I would really encourage people to watch the morning show just to see what the people on the ground are trying to cope with while Jennifer and Reese are up here having their big anchor battles because there's a lot going on there that you don't necessarily see in the previews. That's a good call. I I saw that, enjoyed it, thought it was well-made. And now that you say that, I I do think there's a lot of of class and and sex issues that are definitely of interest to a a labor audience. Good good call. I I agree with that. And the last one I'm going to bring up, it was kind of a sleeper. Not a lot of people went to see it. And I think that's a shame. It's a film called Coda. I just heard about this. Uh, Tell us about it. Coda stands for Child of Deaf Adults. Yes, yes. And the deaf adults in this film are fishermen in Mm -hmm. uh, Massachusetts. Right. You don't get much more working class than that. (laughs) They're trying to keep their boat. They're going out every morning the daughter who can hear um, goes out before school, then goes to school. Mm -hmm. She has this dream to become a singer, go to uh, Berkeley College of Music. But that means leaving her family in a position where they can't do the work Mm -hmm. that keeps a roof over their heads. And it's one of those struggles that a lot of working families have to deal with, you know, they want what's best for their kids. They want them to grow and to succeed, but by the same token, they have to come together to pay the bills, to survive. And the struggle that they have, you know, it sounds like it's going to be one of these depressing sort of, Mm -hmm. oh God, Mm -hmm. heartrending. It's so funny. It's so heartwarming. Um, The the actor who plays the father, who's nominated for um, 
outstanding performance in a supporting role, I think. Yes, Troy Kotzer. He's so grounded in his life as a professional fisherman, but at the same time, always finding the humor, always with a twinkle in his eye, mm -hmm. always trying to find a way to laugh with his wife or to tell his daughter that he loves her. It's a beautiful, amazing film. And um, if there was one on this list that I would say you should make it a priority to watch, I would say it's Coda. Interesting call. Interesting. I, I literally just just heard one of the. Uh, I think it was a writer who was no, the director. The director was interviewed, and and it was one of those films. I saw the title. I had no idea. I thought it was a musical film. That was my only reference for Coda, which I guess there is sort of a double meaning. Um, a little bit. But but when I heard about the topic, I thought it sounded really interesting. Just a, we had just a, a few minutes left. You had you had also thrown on on uh, your sort of. Uh, possible list another one that I have seen and I just wanted to to question you because you put Nightmare Alley which I I love um everything the director um Guillermo um uh, Del Toro yeah. Del Toro I mean he he could he could film a you know he, he could do anything I will watch anything he does um but I I wasn't what what how how is that how is Nightmare Alley laborific at all I don't because I don't even see class stuff in there Oh, I have no idea. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. I've got a, I've got like five or six movies I got to try and watch by noon tomorrow so I can <laughs> vote, man. Okay. This is the struggle. The struggle <laughs> is real. There are 160,000 sag after members right now who are just, they're trying to gut it out. They're trying to watch all these movies. I'm making it sound like we're digging ditches. I mean, we're sitting on our couch watching movies, folks. But still, it's 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 rough well, trying to trying to get all that no, in. No, I feel. I mean, again, as somebody, I'm, I'm with you because I have to do it. You know, for for the film festival. And here's one of the things: is that unlike when I was a script reader for the Austin Film Festival, the deal where, you know, and you know this, most scripts run 120 pages. Mm. All, and when you were a script reader, all you had to read was the first 10 pages. But I could, I could tell you, if it sucks on the first page, it will, I guarantee you, maybe one out of a thousand, it won't suck on the 10th or the 20th or the 30th page. But with a film, you have to watch the whole film, don't you? I mean, I, mean, I assume, or, or, or are there any shortcuts? You should. Uh-oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh. Remember, this is being recorded. <laughs> no, I, I think most of us, we, we, we try and get through an entire film to really make a good judgment. Sure. Um, but the reality is we get all of these films and TV okay. shows, and we're talking about entire seasons of TV shows. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three, four weeks before we have to vote. I was going to ask. Yeah, it's not much time. And so we do our best, right? And I think the folks that really suffer actually are the folks who are up for TV awards. Right. Because your average TV season these days is between eight and 12 episodes. It's and if people so are just much. trying to, to see everything, they might watch two or three of those episodes. Sure. So yeah, that's, that's the rough stuff is um, trying to ascertain what the really great stuff is that a performance is bringing in an episode or two um you know some people like to watch the second to last episode because they huh. figured that's the one that's setting the stage for the finale 
Ah, and so that's okay. where the stakes are the highest. And uh, some people, you know, they end up not voting because they don't feel like it's right to vote if they haven't seen everything. So it's 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 a it's a tough call. It's a tough call how to do it. So does every does every one of the members get all the same stuff, or is it divvied up? Or how does that work? No, um, all <clears throat> the members who are eligible to vote, and you have to be a member in good standing in order to vote in the SAG awards, get everything. Oh my God, they get all of it. And uh, thankfully, SAG-AFTRA has actually done a green initiative this year. So instead of sending 20 or 30 DVDs to every single member. Back in the day. Yeah, members can choose now just to get it through streaming. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a good thing, though. There's some old fogies like me who still have DVD players. And it's like, oh, no, I'm going to put it into the tray. <laughs> Sit on my couch. The trickier thing with a lot of people, though, is they like to watch these films on their big screen TVs with their sure. sound systems. And if you have a proprietary streaming portal that you have to go through, uh, you can have to do some backflips in order to make that happen. And to be fair, uh, the directors of these films probably didn't make them to watch on your phone or right. your iPad. So right. it's always a balance, right? Even though apparently a lot of the kids are watching, you know, you know, Spider-Man on their phone. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> Harold, what a joy. This has been tremendous fun. Thank you so much for uh, educating us about the importance of the SAG Awards. Uh, I'll be sitting there watching. And um, thank you so much for adding to my already long list of films and TV series uh, that I'm going to be enjoying. I no, and I'm serious. It's, it's wonderful. So there's a fun little game you can play. Okay. Pre-pandemic, when all of the SAG After locals would gather to watch the SAG Awards at various places around the country, we would put together a little ballot. And we would mark down not who we voted for on this ballot, okay. but who we thought was actually going to win the award. Oh, I like it. Now, if you go to sagawards.org, okay. I think they've got that ballot for the um for the nominees so you can play that game at home i will definitely do that lisa and i became big fans of the um the great british bake-off and and part of the fun of that uh in addition to just watching a great show was trying to figure out who's going to get knocked off each week because they, they were masterful it really you, you it was very hard to know, you know, who's going to get knocked off, who's going to win. And so this sounds, this sounds just like that. So it really, it kind of makes you pay attention. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I mean, it is, it is kind of fun to think about who the audience favorite is and uh, who you would have actually voted for if you'd voted for them. <laughs> I get to pretend I'm a, I'm a SAG after member for the night. Wonderful. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. February 27th, uh, start watching TNT or TBS. I believe it's at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. That's when the red carpet starts. Excellent. All right. Happy watching, brother. All right. Looking forward to it. That's it for our show this week. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Chris Garlock. See you at the movies. <laughs>